service, if you're home, make sure you gather those sort of supplies that you'll need. Um, during this time uh, that's been crazy and, and upside down for most of us, uh, I think it's important that you know that, that there is ministry happening, ministry going on. Um, some of that ministry you guys have been a huge part of. We'll talk about that. Some of it has been things that our church has been able to kind of do and participate in during this time. Um, I wanted to let you know about a couple of them. I think we've got those pictures. Jeremiah, if you want to throw them up there. Um, but this is uh, in Uganda. And I know it's kind of hard to maybe see what's going on. Uh, but with Pastor Henry in Uganda, um, we were able to send um, a large amount of money over there here in the summertime. And they were able to dig a well. Um, and so this isn't just for the church or for the school that we support. This is for the whole community. Uh, they were having a hard time during COVID, the lockdown measures that they're kind of um, running up against there, having a hard time getting water um, in their community. And so this was a way that, that Pastor uh, James felt like that we could minister to a, a larger group of people. So it was awesome. We were able to send money um, over to them and they were able to dig this well. And uh, he sent me a video. He sent us a video of it. It's like this grainy kind of cruddy video, but it's from Uganda, you know, through a satellite or whatever. Um, and they're, you know, pumping water out. You see the water flowing out of the well and everybody's excited and cheering. So it's a big deal. Um, and I wanted to let you guys know that, that because of your faithfulness, uh, we were able to bless them, you know, during this time. Um, that's a great, that's a huge thing for their, their community. So thank you for your faithfulness. Um, the other thing I would let you know is that uh, during this time, uh, we, we were able to do VBS, a little different than we've done it before. Uh, but this last week, um, in several different homes, I don't know how many different houses we had, uh, we had people uh, put on VBSs maybe for their children or their kids in some community, neighborhood kids or something. Um, and there were like 85 kids, I think, um, involved in VBSs all over our area um, this last week, which is awesome, too. Great way to do that. So thanks to everybody who served this week um, and went out of your way to minister to, to uh, children um, and just being faithful during this time. It's just different. It's a different time. There's ways for us to do ministry that'll look a little bit different than before. Um, but uh, thanks for those of you who just stepped out um, and did those faithful things this week. So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. We've just been walking through the whole book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 to 22. We're going to look at maybe three people, two people that might be sort of obscure to you that you may not know a lot about from uh, biblical stories. Um, and we'll kind of look at them and see how they point us to faith today. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, we're going to read these verses together. Um, it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. So you've probably just read these verses and you're like, I don't know anything he's talking about. There's such odd stories to mention from the Old Testament. Um, we'll dig into that just a little bit. So uh, just maybe as a way of reminder, um, just to encourage you that, that uh, as we've gone through the book of Hebrews and this author Paul has been pointing us to all of these people from the Old Testament um, that we're supposed to kind of look at and learn from them something about, about faith, we saw that these people um, that he's mentioned up to this point, they, they have certain commonalities. Uh, what does it look like to be faithful, Paul says? Look at these people, Paul says, and there are common things that they share with each other um, that are 
uh, indicative of a life of faith. So let's look at, I want to remind you about the things that we talked about last week um, that were common for these people who have faith. First of all, they, re- they heard a word from God, they received that word, and they obeyed that word. God said something to them, they ultimately gladly received that word as coming from the Lord, and then they obeyed that word. Second thing we saw was they took great risk for the promises of God, that God made promises to them. He said things specifically. He said he would do certain things. He told them to do certain things, and then certain things would happen. And they risked greatly to see those things come true, the promises of God come true in their life. Third thing was they trusted God through their struggles, that some of the things God told them to do were crazy and difficult and at a high price and hard to wrap their minds and their hearts around. And yet they did it, and they were faithful to that, and they trusted God even during their times of struggle. So we saw those three things they share in common. Another thing that I would say that they share in common is that they they all faced great uncertainty, and they, they embraced that uncertainty. They embraced that uncertainty. For most of us, uncertainty is a deal breaker. If you can't guarantee me a certain outcome... If you can't promise me that if this doesn't work, I'm going to have a soft landing spot, I'm not going to do it. For most of us, uncertainty is the deal breaker. I'm not going to go down that path unless you're going to show me how we get there and there's going to be a 401k to fall back on and there's going to be a health, whatever, you know, like we're not doing it. So they embraced the uncertainty that came with what God told them to do. They didn't have a lot of answers. They weren't guaranteed positive outcomes. They didn't have security blankets to fall back on. They had God's word. They received God's word. They obeyed God's word. They risked greatly for God's word. And then they went into following him into a period of unknown, of uncertainty. Now, what I'm not comfortable with when we talk about these things, I'm not comfortable with using language like a blind leap of faith. Because I don't think there is any such thing, and I don't think it's a biblical concept at all. So we just need to kind of scrub that from our language and our thinking. We don't take blind leaps of faith. Okay, so Pastor Joe, what do you mean by that? Here's why I say that. Here's why I don't think that's biblical. First of all, God himself is knowable. We can know God. God isn't playing hide and seek with us, right? He's not throwing out clues in the universe and then hoping secretly that we don't find him like you do with your children during COVID, right? You're hiding in the bathroom or a closet hoping they don't find you. God's not doing that to us, right? God is findable. He is knowable. We can know God, and he has gone out of his way to make sure that we can know him. Second thing, not only has God shown him himself or shown us himself, he's also revealed himself to be trustworthy in scripture. We have a a whole book of, quite frankly, historically verifiable events where God showed himself to be faithful over and over and over and over again. Not only do we know general things about God, concepts about God, we can look here and go, man, God was faithful to these people, and they were real people, and they struggled with real things, and they were asked to do difficult stuff, and God was faithful to them. So he's been faithful. He's revealed himself as being trustworthy in Scripture, then I would say most of us in this room have some kind of testimony where God's been faithful to us. Has God been faithful to you? Just pop, pop your hand up. Just at any point, it, it may not be some life, quite frankly, it may not be some life-altering, life-shattering thing, but we can look back in our own lives and go, man, God's been trustworthy. In my past, God has been true. 
He's been trustworthy in my life. So we don't take blind leaps of faith. We have all these things that we can look back and trust in. We know God, not just generally, but specifically through Jesus. We know him in his word. We know him personally in our experience. And so here's what I would say. We don't leap, we don't take blind leaps of faith. We walk into an unknown future with a known God to a guaranteed conclusion. We walk into an unknown future with a known God to a guaranteed conclusion. We know what God's going to do in the future. We, I don't know how he's going to do what you need in your life. I have no idea. I don't know what he's going to do. But I know that whatever he does, it's for his glory. That when it's done, you will look at it and other people will look at it and go, wow, look how big God is. That God will bring glory to his name and his fame through whatever he does in your life however he chooses to do it, that it'll be for your best. I didn't say you're going to enjoy it. God didn't say that either. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, a party. It'll be for your absolute best. I can guarantee you that because God's guaranteed it. So it'll be for your best. That God will provide for you. Did you know that God promised that? He promises that. He will provide for you. Now again, most of us sit back and go, okay God, that means a PS5. Right? Some of you old people are like, what PS5? An iPhone. iPhone 11, God. That means an iPhone 11. That means a new car every two, every two years. That means a bigger house than I need, God. That's what provision means. And if that doesn't happen in my life, God, you're really not providing for me. That is not what God said. God said, I'll provide for you. I'll provide for your needs. He's promised us that. So I don't know what that's going to look like or how he's going to do it, but he's promised that he's going to provide for us. And at the end of everything right? Whether we take our last breath here or he comes before that day, he has promised us that we're going to go to heaven and stand in the presence of God. He's prom- I don't know how this is all going to pan out, but these are the things that he's promised us to do. So he doesn't call us to walk into, take a blind leap of faith. He calls us to walk in an uncertain future with a known God who's guaranteed us certain conclusions, right? I don't, I don't intend this to be just an illustration, but it, the Lord brought it our way. It happened yesterday afternoon. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I get a text from one of our church members, Chris Smith, Chris and Lisa. And he texts me and he says, Pastor Joe, she's gone. She's gone to be with Jesus. Lisa passed away yesterday. Guys, listen, that day's coming. That day is coming. Somebody's going to send a text about you one day to somebody. He's gone. She's gone. Are we ready to walk into an uncertain future, able to send a text that we know that we know that we know that wherever they're not here, they're there? God doesn't take, he didn't ask us to take blind leaps of faith. He asks us to walk into a future that we can't predict, but with a known God, with guaranteed outcomes, even unto death, amen? Even unto that point and beyond in death. So they walked in uncertainty, they embraced that uncertainty, they walked into it not knowing how it was all going to pan out and they did it faithfully. That's another common thing that they had. The other thing to remind you about is that this whole book, the entire book of Hebrews, and then chapter 11, he's really starting to drill into it and make it his big, big point. His big point in Hebrews is faith, trust, that he would push us to trust in God, that no matter what, we would have faith in God. And I love this this, uh, definition. I wish it was mine, but we stole it, so we're going to keep using it from Tony Evans. We're going to live in faith. We're going to live like God is telling the truth. 
We're going to live like God's telling the truth, that what he has said in his word, what he has promised to us is true. And today I'm going to make actions and choices and decisions that mirror that, that look like that. We're going to live in faith. That's what Hebrews is pushing us to, right? So we see from these people, they give us examples of it. Their faith is an example to us, that they believe, they trust that intangible thing that's inside of us in our spirits, right? That we choose to trust, that we believe in something. They did that. These people did that. And y'all listen, this is what they're working off of. They trust God with like this. This is what they're trusting God with. We have this. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in our hearts. We have the resurrected Jesus Christ. Their example of faith based on so little is such a great example to us, isn't it? That they trust God. They believed in God. Then they were faithful. Having trust and then being faithful to that is not the same thing. They believed in something. They trusted in something. And then they lived like it. Their faithfulness is an example to us, right? They faced all these challenges and all these difficulties, and yet they chose daily to live like, to make daily choices. That's one of the things that's awesome about this text. It doesn't say, by faith, Abraham trusted God. By faith, uh, you know, uh, Enoch trusted God. By faith, uh, Sarah believed deeply in her heart that God was going to be true. No, it says, by faith, Sarah did this, or believed, and then she acted like this. And Abraham trusted God, and then he acted like this. And Joseph trusted God, and so he acted like this. They trusted God, they believed in God, they had faith in him, then they were faithful to that. And their faith and their faithfulness are examples to us. That's how we're supposed to live and act as if God's telling the truth. And then the last thing I would say here is that the object of their faith is an example to us. What were they believing in? Because it really doesn't matter what you believe. The power of your faith doesn't come from what you believe or how strongly you believe it. The power of your faith comes from what you believe in. Has anybody ever been on a plane ride that's just going bad while you're on the airplane? Bad weather or something? And it's terrifying. You know, and it's like you, be, you get hit by cars while you're in the air. The whole thing shudders and shakes and, you know, and all, it's, it's kind of a terrifying deal. And at some point or another, you have to go, listen, it doesn't matter what I believe about this airplane. You know what I mean? How strongly I believe this airplane's going to hold me up. I believe in this airplane. I'm trusting in this airplane. The object of my airplane, of the, my faith, is stronger than my faith. Make sense? We're all... We're all hosed. We're all, we're all really messed up if it all depends on how strongly we believe. It's the object of our faith. That's what matters, right? So they are believing in something, and what they believe in matters, and their, their object of faith is supposed to be an example to us what we're putting our faith in and our trust in. They believed in God's promises. They believed in God's past actions. They believed in the person of God. Hebrews says not only did they believe in God, they believed in the promises of God, which were yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So they're believing in Jesus Christ. They didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. The object of their faith was Jesus Christ. Now, we share that in common directly with them. I don't trust God for a physical land here. He's not promised me a home between Euphrates and the, you know, the Nile River and all that stuff. That's the promises that he made to somebody else. But I, promise, I trust in God that the promises he's made to me through Jesus Christ are going to come true. And my hope is pinned on him and what he's done and his ability to do what he said he's going to do. So we share that 
also in common with them that our faith is pointing us to Jesus Christ. So he brings up Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Two of these people you probably know very little about. They're obscure. These stories that he chooses to use are even more random, it seems like. Um, but he wants us to learn something from uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph in a very specific time in their lives, um, which is very interesting as we look into this a little bit. So the, the scenario that he chooses for each of these people, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, is they're old men. They're dying, and they know they're dying. And each one of them does something very specific at the end of their lives that we're supposed to see that's supposed to encourage our faith. Now, Joseph, I mean, sorry, uh, Isaac and Jacob, the story that they, he uses for them is they are blessing their children, and they're blessing their grandchildren. Um, if you've ever heard somebody teach about, you know, the, this section from, from Genesis in particular about the blessing of children, it can get kooky really fast. And, and, and I think we're so desperate for every piece of scripture to have some immediate you know, meaning in my life and bless me and all this kind of stuff that we just take scripture and we butcher it really badly. So I'm going to try to avoid that <laughs> extreme on the one hand um, and help us understand, I think, what scripture, certainly what Paul wants us to take away um, from those stories. So when you read about the blessing of, of the, the, the sons in Israel or with Israel in, in Genesis, don't over-spiritualize it. Let me tell you what's happening. They're blessing their children that even while they're, and basically while they're dying, they're looking forward to God's faithfulness. That as they're dying, they're, they're passing on a faith to their children that says, even in the face of death, you can trust in God. This is what they're blessing them with. So this, I think, the application point is pretty easy for me. And it's this, as we face death and maybe that's what's been really scary about the last five months is that we've kind of had to face death in a way most of us never have. The prospects of it, at least. So as we face death, as we face loss, what are we passing on to our kids? What are we passing on to our grandchildren? What are we passing on to our spiritual children, those people that we have influence with? What are we passing on to them? I think... What's been passed on, not by everyone, but by some people during this time, is just fear. Living in fear. Being afraid of everything. Staying safe. As if physical safety is the most important thing on this planet. Right? Risk only what you can afford to lose or what's least important to you. But it really comes down to it. Don't risk anything important. Are we passing on things like, not only is it okay to be sad and to mourn, it's okay to let sadness and mourning dictate your feelings and your actions interminably, right? I do, I, this kind of hit me this week, we were talking in staff meeting, that I feel like we've, we're leaving a period of grieving. It feels like we've come, you know, the grief cycle, you know, where you hear something and you deny it, and you get angry, and then, you know, and you accept it at some point, you know, all that stuff that you walk through. I feel like we've done that as a culture, like for the last five months. We're grieving, we're grieving what's gone, we're grieving what's lost. Not only with COVID, but with the, the racial tensions that we have in our culture and what's happening in our, our um, even our churches and within Christianity right now. Like we're grieving a culture that's leaving, you know, somehow. And I think some of us have kind of passed on to children and grandchildren this idea, man, you'll, you'll probably never be happy again. 
The world's never going to be the same. You'll never have satisfaction or joy because they canceled your graduation or because you didn't have the opportunity to go see, you know, the concert that you wanted to see this, this month or a wedding ceremony that you really wanted to have or go to. You're probably never going to be happy just settle for what it is. And I think we're passing some of this idea, this thinking onto our kids and our grandkids and people that we influence during this time. These men, the greatest thing that they passed on was something like this. Sons, grandsons, listen, God has spoken. God has said things. He has promised things to us. I believe it. And even with my last breaths, I'm going to point you to the faithfulness of God. That's the blessing that we see them passing on in this text here. Back in Genesis 48, don't have a lot of time to get into it, but the picture here is Jacob blessing his grandsons. Okay, I'm not going to get into the details of it. But they're Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, you don't have to tithe again if you name your kid Manasseh, by the way. That's just a special present for me if you want to name your kid Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh. And it's really weird because what you would normally do, you would have the older on your right hand and you would bless the older one because he's the one that you're going to carry your family name and the blessings and all this kind of stuff. And the left guy, the, the second born, is just like, yeah, high five. You just do what he says, right? I mean, that's kind of what he gets. Jacob, old man, as he goes to do this, <clears throat> on his right hand is Ephraim, left hand of Manasseh. He does this at the last minute. He crosses his hands and he blesses the younger over the older. And Joseph's like, hey, Papa, just so you'll know, that's Ephraim, that's Manasseh, you're backwards, can we go ahead? Like, no, 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 no. This is what God said he's going to do. He's going to bless the younger over the older. I've not seen it yet, but on my dying bed, with my dying breath, I'm going to tell these boys to trust what God said he's going to do. I'm not going to undo what God said just because I haven't seen it. I'm going to trust it on the way out. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. That's the picture. That's what's happening in this story that Paul is drawing our attention to here. He's like, Jacob is confident that God's promises and God's work can't be defeated even by death. Even death can't overcome what God said is going to happen. Why would I stop believing it just because I'm going to die? That's kind of what he's saying. What are you giving your kids, your grandkids, your spiritual children during this time? What are you passing on to them? Verse 22, he brings up Joseph. This again is really interesting, what he chooses to focus on here. There are so many things he could have told us about Joseph. You know, Joseph, uh, he takes up the last 10 chapters of, of Genesis. That's a lot. There's a whole lot of information uh, that we get about Joseph and his story. Um, uh, the th I think I would just throw this in for you right now. Some of you kind of come to church on a Sunday morning or you're online or whatever, and you glance up against Hebrews or you glance up against Romans or you brush up against Galatians, and you're like, I really don't understand what any of these people are talking about. I would just challenge you that you really can't grasp the fullness of the New Testament. You can't understand Hebrews if you've never read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you've not just read the first five books of the Bible, Hebrews makes a lot less sense to you, okay? Same thing for Romans, same thing for Galatians, probably the same thing for the Gospel of Matthew. They're just not going to make sense if you don't give yourself a little bit of familiarity with old first five books of the Old Testament at least. So I'd really encourage you 
Spend a little time in those books and know these stories, and this all will make much more sense to you as a believer, a New Testament believer, if you can kind of wrap your head around some of the Old Testament. So he tells us about Joseph, and he tells us about a weird, weird time in Joseph's life, gives him instructions about his bones, right? And you're like, listen, Paul, you know you're a good teacher and everything, but you could have talked about all this other stuff about Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the one who was tempted, he was sold into slavery, and then his his boss's wife is basically seducing him to go to bed with her. And he rejects her and he flees from her at the risk of his life and he gets thrown into prison. But that's not what Paul talks about. We could have had a, a story about him being faithful and ethical while he's in prison, while he's rotting away forgotten in an Egyptian prison. He was faithful during that time. And we get some of those stories. He didn't talk about that. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams didn't get that. He got to be as high as the second most powerful person in the world uh, domination, dominating uh, empire of Egypt. He's the second in, in charge. Doesn't talk about that. He saves his family from famine. Decades and decades after his brothers sell him into slavery, maybe to death, he saves them from dying in famine. He forgives them, for, but he didn't talk about any of that stuff. He talks about Joseph making plans for his bones. What a random story, right, for Paul to choose to talk to us about when he wants to remind us about being faithful, trusting God. Why does he do that? Here's what I would say. Because for Paul, Joseph's most important, his greatest act of faith was the instruction that he left to have his bones buried in his great-grandfather's cave in Canaan. How does that show faith? Well, the text tells us how it shows faith. Verse 22, it's very clear. It says that he foresees the exodus of his people, like the second book of the Bible. He foresees that. Now, if you remember your Old Testament, some of you don't, and you're like, this is not a big deal. Joseph is in Egypt. He dies. 400 years later, the exodus occurs. God sends Moses, and he takes his people out of slavery. Scripture says, Paul says, Hebrews says, he trusted God to the point that though he didn't know the details, in his mind he's thinking, if God said we're going to have a land, sooner or later he's going to take us out of this place. Sooner or later my people are going to leave this place. And he looks ahead into the future and he takes actions to line up his life as if God is telling the truth about something that won't happen for 400 years. Just like Abraham, he looks at Isaac and he's like, okay, God promised his his uh, promises to me through Isaac, if I kill him on this mountain, God's going to bring him back to life because God promised it was going to come through Isaac. So Jacob looks at this, Joseph looks at this, and he says, how is God going to give us a land when we're stuck here in Egypt? No matter how long we're here, somehow God's going to get us out. When you go, take my bones with you. So he foresees the exodus. There's faith involved there. The other thing, you bury your bones where your home is. Generally, wherever home is, that's where we bury people. It could be an ancestral home. It could be a, a family burial plot somewhere, wherever you grew up. But it's wherever you think home is. Both Jacob and Joseph, both of them, asked that their bones be buried back in Canaan, which at the time wasn't even a possibility. And I need you all to understand that. They don't get the end of Genesis and Exodus. They don't, they don't see that. 
That's 400 years in the future. But they're treating it as if it's a reality because God promised it would occur. So they lined their lives up, even in death, with God being true to his promises. It's an act of faith in the face of death. And all of us are faced with these kinds of moments where we have to kind of go, is my faith real or not? Does it really matter or not? Whether that's COVID challenges or losing a job or marital problems or rebellious child, death itself, even in death, they're lining up their lives with the promises of God. Another thing I want you to remember about Joseph is that he was extremely successful. Extremely successful. He was part of his, the culture that he was in. He was in Egypt. Um, he looked like an Egyptian. I'm sure he did pretty much what they did. Uh, uh, whatever cultural things there were about being an Egyptian, uh, he did them. He looked like them. He dressed like them. He worked with them and like them in their industry and their government. He was wildly, amazingly successful. He lived the majority of his life there. But for Joseph, Egypt wasn't home. He dressed the part. He performed at a very high level. He was true to his morals. I'm sure he lived somewhat like an outlier, a loner to some degree within all of that. But it was not his home. All decades, listen, this wasn't like a year or two. It was decades and decades and decades. For decades, don't you think Joseph had to be asking God, what are you doing? He's rotting in a prison cell. His brothers sell him, put him in a pit, rip his clothes, tell dad that he's dead. He gets accused of crimes he didn't commit. He gets forgotten. For, don't you think at some point he's like, God, what are you doing? Even when he gets rich and somewhat locally famous, he still probably think, God, what is this all about? What could you possibly be doing? There was a moment that finally came to him where he was ready to act, and it came. And he says, what does he say when that moment comes? It is for just this time that God put me here. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. In the middle of wondering, what could God possibly be doing that's good in my life? He also has his head on a swivel, looking around, going, is this it? Oh, is this the one? Am I going to bless here? Is this what I'm going to respond to? Is this why God? He's constantly looking around for that moment when he can act on whatever it is that God's been doing in his life. We can live, we must live, like aliens and strangers here. We should be wildly successful as whatever it is that we put our hands on, but this is not home. And we have to be looking for that moment or those moments that God will bring our way where we go, oh my gosh, this is it. I get to speak a word of encouragement to you. Maybe you're down. Maybe you're beat up by life. You're like, gosh, God, what could possibly be happening? And then eventually you run across that person who's had it crappier than you've had, right? You think it's your life is the worst story. Then you run across that person who's like, oh my gosh, that's actually worse than my life. And you have that moment, that brief time to go, man, God's with you. God will see you through. If you trust in him, he's always with you. He'll never forsake you. He'll give you everything you need. Trust in him. Wow, God, that's why you put me here. Are you looking for that moment? 
in those little moments that God brings your way to speak that kind of blessing to somebody else. Joseph was. The other thing I want to point out is that as he continues through this list of people, they are ridiculously normal people. They are amazingly normal people. I mean, Joseph got to be second in command, but he was just a teenager when this all started. A prisoner, just a normal, literal, average guy. All these people that we see up to this point, they tend to be just average, normal, unknown people who God called, spoke to them, and they acted faithfully, but they're just average people. Why is that such a big deal to me? And I think in the text, I think this is what Paul is trying to help us see. Because the message for us is not be a titan of faith, be a superhero of faith. The message is this, just have faith. Just have a little bit of faith. And tomorrow, have a little bit more. Just have a little bit of faith. A little more today than yesterday. And you know what it says in Hebrews eleven seven? God is pleased with those who trust in him, who seek him. This is the message of Hebrews. You want to know God? You want to please God? You want to have a God who's not ashamed to be your God? You want God to come to you and bless you? Trust him. Just trust him. Trust him a little bit. Trust him a little more. Average, ordinary people walking through the struggles of life. Trust him. God's with you. How many times did Noah and Sarah and Abraham and Jacob pray something like, God, I have no idea how you're going to pull this off. I have no idea how you're going to do what you promised, but I believe that you will. I trust what you've said, and I will line up my life around what little evidence I have, and I have confidence in your character and in your promises, and I will live like that. Lining up our lives with the unseen promises of God. Maybe we don't ever see him during this lifetime. And maybe we face death and we're like, how could this possibly ever happen? But God makes a way. And we live our lives like God's going to make a way. I'm going to ask the praise team. We're going to have communion here in just a moment. They're going to make their way up and get ready. What are our big takeaways? What do we take away with us? First of all, from Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they had a faith that allowed them to see what other people couldn't see. They had a faith that allowed them to see what other people couldn't see. A promised future that no one had ever conceived of before. There were promises from God that no one had ever even imagined, but they could see it because they trusted him. Second thing, they grew and they matured and they progressed in their faith and their trust in God over a very long period of time. Some of you are playing the short game in your faith. By the short game, I mean you're praying tiny prayers, and you're trusting God for little bitty things, and you want it today. And when those little things aren't answered, and when those tiny things don't come true, and it doesn't happen today, you're crushed. That's not the faith that we see in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a long game of faith. These people walk with God. There's a couple of them that walk with God like a hundred years. they grow in their faith and they mature in their faith we see in them this example of what it looks like to mature and progress in their faith and their trust of God over a very long period of time and we see them and what's awesome about the Bible is it's brutally honest 
And when they fail, it tells us about their failings. When they didn't trust God, when they doubted him and they acted outside of faith, it tells us about that. But when they come back to faith with a little, God with a little bit of faith, it tells us that too. And it says, be like them. They trusted God. They weren't perfect. They weren't superheroes of faith. They were regular people who went through cruddy stuff and they trusted in God. You trust in God. And they progressed. They matured over a very long period of time. Next thing, they shaped their lives and the lives of their children and their grandchildren for generations to come. I told this story earlier. I tell it in my family's here, so they'll know what I'm talking about. My brother-in-law, Missy, Mindy has a twin, Missy. Her father-in-law, who I don't even know his name, we call him Papa, um, he has influenced, changed the course of generations of children and grandchildren because of his faithfulness. He has, we have seen this with our eyes, that a man can live so faithfully with God for 60 or 70 years, and it radically transforms generations of children that come after because he's faithful. We see that in these people, in Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, old men dying, passing on to their children and their grandchildren. Be faithful to God because he is trustworthy. You can trust him. And it changes the course of generations to come. So as parents and as grandparents, are you more concerned about passing on spiritual blessings or material blessings? The most frightening prospect in our life the most crazy thing that we can lose is our lives. And yet when these men were faced with that, death is imminent and they know it. It was the time when their faith shined the brightest. When we would normally give people a hall pass and let them just moan and complain and gripe because life is bad when you're facing death, these men face death differently and their faith is highlighted for millennia for millions of Christians to look at and emulate not when they were doing things when they were young men but when they're old men dying God says look at them that's what faith looks like and when life was at its worst and they were going to lose everything their faith shined at its brightest Facing, facing death is probably the biggest test of our faith. And all three of these guys, these men, they've been brought up hearing about God's promises, and they had never seen any of them. Have you ever thought about that? They'd heard about God's promises, but they'd never seen any of God's promises. But they're faithful. They trust God. They trust in His Word and who He is. And they die taking actions that prove that they trust in God, that he would keep his word. We face challenges every day of our lives. Big challenges, big ones. Scary things. And we're going to face that final enemy someday of death. Will we trust God that he will fulfill his promises even when our circumstances scream something else at us? Will we trust God's spoken promises and his character and who he is that he will not fail? I don't want you to let these current times that we're in right now strip you. The losses that we've endured, 
I don't want to let them strip you of your trust in God. God will be true to his promises. He will be true to himself. He will ensure that we will stand in his presence and be called his children and welcomed into his family for eternity someday. He will be true to that. And we should praise him and live our lives as if that is imminently true. The cheater, the liar, the greedy person, the pornographer, the adulterer, the drunk, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will stand before God because of the promises of God, the faithfulness of God. And he will complete the work that he has started in you. Will you and I live today like that's true? Will we stand on our staff as old men and old women, unable, our bodies are failing, and we can't even stand up in our own strength, and we bless our children, and we worship God is what it says. We worship. Will we do that? Will that be our stories? Will we be faithful to the God who is true to his promises? That's the challenge of Hebrews this morning. God, thank you for these stories of these men that we probably, otherwise we would just gloss over. We wouldn't pay any attention to them draw our eyes to them so we can see what they were looking at. We draw our attention to them so we can see where their hearts were pointed and what they were hoping and trusting in. God, Jesus Christ, that's where their hope was. Father, I pray that no matter what we face, no matter what prospects of loss or challenge come our way, Father God, that we would not shrink away from trusting you. You're trustworthy. And every single promise you've ever made to us is true to us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, your promises are yes and amen. So Father, as we take communion this morning, we worship you, and we look back at the promises that you've made to us, Jesus dying on a cross. We look forward to the day that he returns. We look forward to the day that we go to be with you forever based on Jesus, and we trust in that. We worship you you make all of your promises come true for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Hear our worship this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me wherever you're at, if you're home or in the room. Stand up. We're going to take communion in just a moment. We're going to worship God. Prepare your hearts. and Let's worship him, and then we'll share communion together. All of God's promises for us. Every promise in the Old Testament he's ever made, it's true. It's ours because of Jesus. Psalm 23 makes promises to us, right? I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear why, because you are with me. You staff and your rod comfort me. You lead me beside still waters. These are true because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship him. We'll take communion this morning.